My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 93 of Legally Clueless. Also, Merry Christmas! I'm so excited. <laughs> As you know, especially if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, Christmas is my favorite time of year, I think... It's right at par with my birthday. Ah, but anyway, I'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> if you are new to this podcast, welcome, first and foremost. And then secondly, you can catch us on Instagram at Legally Clueless Podcast. And on Twitter, if you chit-chat about the podcast, please use the hashtag Legally Clueless because I would love to have an easier time eavesdropping on your tweets. <laughs> I am super excited about the story in this episode because I think it's very layered, very layered. There's a lot to unpack from it. Listen to this. I live in Bogota in Colombia. In uni, I was doing a course that I really didn't enjoy. And I remember just all of them saying, are you serious? You're going into teaching. Why are you choosing poverty? The problem is I didn't have an education degree, meaning they couldn't pay me like a teacher. I applied to Colombia. I interview, they tell you to either dance for them or sing for them. So I touched my nose with my tongue and I thought, okay, they laughed a bit. But I think every year coming back here, it's so far away. It takes like 37 hours to get here. I got the job. So I'm the head of maths now. But I think I will be able to get another job or I will just be okay. Or maybe my savings might not make it through the whole of my master's program or anything that I choose to do. That's a big, big fear. You'll be okay. So what's the big deal? Oh man, I think this is one of my favorite stories recording. And I also have have such a special place in my heart for stories that are from Legally Clueless listeners. And you will hear that story a little later in the episode and I'll tell you more about it then. However, Christmas week! <laughs> ah, I really love Christmas and I think it has 100% to do with my mom because my mom went the extra mile. Like you can imagine this woman was dealing sometimes with let's say chemo and radiotherapy that was after she got diagnosed with cancer. She was dealing with an asshole of a husband who was abusive and she still managed to ensure from the gates was decorated. <laughs> there's the tree those gifts under the tree like everything that would make it such a wholesome and warm time of the year she did despite what was breaking her at the time so yeah i think it has everything to do with that and i'm so happy my sisters and i still carry on the tradition we spend every christmas together and so that's what we're going to do later on this saturday's hangout at my sister's place and just eat from morning until almost curfew time and then go back to our homes Ooh, and exchange gifts which is very important yeah so i'm looking forward to that i hope you have a fantastic christmas i know the experience i have with my sisters is not a given for all families not all families get together during christmas sometimes getting together with family is traumatic for some people and if that's the case for you i'm sending you so much love because i know that means holidays can be terrible and i'm really sorry about that but also in more happy news legally clueless just surpassed a million streams yeah a million online streams so i woke up today and before starting to produce this episode, I was doing admin work. So just checking the back end, the tech boring stuff of the podcast. And I checked the numbers and I was like, oh my God, we are over a million streams. We're actually at 1,015,256 streams 
as of recording this, which is, ugh, it feels so good. It feels so good because not only do I enjoy this space and even hearing you enjoying this space makes me feel so good, but I also know that I've poured my heart and sweat into this podcast. I work so hard on it and I'm not complaining about the hard work. I really do enjoy it. And so to see it become something so beautiful, to see it cross the a million mark is wonderful. I was not prepared for <laughs> the a million mark. My partner and I had spoken about it and I was like, yeah, that's probably going to be around January, February. And I was like, I'm definitely going to have a bottle of champagne and I'm going to turn up. I did not expect it to be here on the 20th of December, but it feels really good and I'm so thankful and I really do appreciate you. And I would love to know what has been your most impactful or favorite episode so far. And you can either send that to the Legally Clueless hotline number, which is in the description of this episode, or you can also just comment or DM on Instagram. Because for me, yes, it's over a million streams, but it's stories. The streams are the episodes, the episodes are the stories, and they're the places where I share about my life and my experiences. And so I would just want to know which parts of those points in the podcast you have completely felt connected to. And honestly, this a million streams could not have come at a better time because I found myself feeling a bit rushed. I don't know if you felt that, especially due to social media, where as much as I mute so many accounts and I only follow a lot of like creative spaces, a lot of feminist organizations, literally just pages that will interest me creatively. But every so often there will be media posts like from traditional media houses or posts from other podcasts and those things make me feel rushed. They make me feel like the stuff I'm working on for the podcast needs to get out like right now. Like, look what other people are doing. It feels like you're not giving this 100%. And then I have to do so much work undoing those thoughts and telling myself, no, you're enjoying the space that you're in. You're enjoying this journey. Whatever things you want to create for this podcast or under this podcast, please don't let them be influenced by what other people are doing. Let that creative experience be so fluid and so pure and come really from your heart and also just trying to remind myself that there isn't one right way of doing things there's only my way of doing things and your way of doing things and other people's way of doing you know what I mean so looking at how somebody is doing their thing on their journey shouldn't make you veer off from your thing and your journey. So I've had to do a lot of work like just reinforcing that over the last couple of days because I felt like, oh my God, I'm focused so much on launching the book I co-authored next year on my hosting gigs, on the initiative and the programs. I was like, oh my God, am I forgetting the podcast? Or if I fail to post something on the podcast page. I'm like, look at that. Why would you do that? Why are you not taking it seriously? You're such a disappointment. You know, these words we use on ourselves are so, oof. Sometimes we're so harsh with ourselves. So I was doing that for like four days and then trying to counter it with everything I learned in therapy, all my coping mechanisms and exercises. And so stumbling on the one million streams, I was just like, whew. <laughs> boy did I need that like it feels good and I'm very thankful to you for listening to the podcast so I want to share the song of the week ah 
let me tell you i love this guy i have shared one of his other songs with you and i stumbled on him randomly on youtube just you know the recommendation thing that youtube does i am so thankful because he actually started off as a poet so i connect with a lot of musicians who were first poets just because i'm a poet as well and then he found his way into music i love his visuals for all his songs and oh my god so this week he well this past week he released the visuals of his most recent song which is the song of the week i'm getting to it in a bit and i shared it on my insta stories and then he replied Ooh. he replied and then he followed me back on instagram and i was jumping around the house falgun my partner was so irritated with me he's like ugh, now you're just happy your crush has followed you i'm like yep <laughs> Next, we're going to meet each other. <laughs> so his name is Cody Radical. He is from the UK, but I think he is originally from Ghana, but, you know, born and brought up in the UK. And the song is good. No, like that's the name of the song. <laughs> that's the name of the song. It's called Good. And what I like about it, it's just a reminder. And we could all use those reminders when we're feeling a bit stressed, worried about this, that, and the other, to just remember that we're good. We have the basics. We, we are here. We are alive. We're in this present moment, which means we're good. It's very easy to look at what you don't have or what's not going right and to forget what's going right on a daily, the small things that go right on a daily. And this song is such a good reminder of that. So I've put a link in the description of this episode to the music video the music video is like virtual reality type thing and so at the beginning it tells you to put on your headphones please make sure you do that otherwise the sound will seem distorted and i know how irritating it is like when a video starts and they're like put on your headphones you're like ah they're so far trust me put on your headphones for this one so you really enjoy the moment and he's put in so much work into this <laughs> this video you might as well look at how i'm even <laughs> tatang him <laughs> this is love but that's the song of the week and I hope you like it as much as I do. Okay, so let's get into the 100 African story. And this is a story I received the demo on the Legally Clueless hotline number. And I was very intrigued because I was like, hmm, a Kenyan teacher all the way in Bogota. What was so interesting is her interviewing process because she mentioned how at a point she touched her nose with her tongue. Yes, during the interview for this particular job. I hope you enjoyed this story. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. Hi, my name is Waboy and I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. I don't currently live in Nairobi, Kenya. I live in Bogota in Colombia. I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for the last oof, nine years. No, that's a lie. Yeah, I think it's actually six years. Oh my God, I'm a math teacher and here I am struggling with the number of years, but I think it's because I've also been teaching for a long time before that. So I think during this time of COVID, I've just been in my apartment since March, first of all, teaching online and talking to students online. And it's brought and highlighted a lot of aspects of my journey into teaching. So I first started teaching just as a joke, like just tutoring when someone tells you, oh, you're good at math. So you just talk to my son for a few minutes. And that's not exactly what teaching is, but it does give you um, an aspect of how much impact you can do with some explanations, especially if you provide the patience to the person who in a bigger classroom setting wouldn't 
otherwise have the patients offer to them. So in uni, I was doing a course that I really didn't enjoy and everyone was destined for an office job or to go on and do data collection and do research and do all these other things. And that, for me, those are things or aspects that really used to stress me out. Um, but to make extra money on the side, I would tutor. I remember tutoring this one student. She was on the verge of like her, her last option, you know, like where you're not allowed if you fail this one last course, then that's it. You know, be given an opportunity, even though you spent four years in university. So she came up to me and was like, hey, you seem okay with math and you're a math major. Why don't you just tutor me for um, a month? I have this exam to do and then I'll pay you this much. So tutored her. Um, she got an A. I'm not sure if it was a valid A because sometimes with resets, um, you can't ever be too sure. So when she got the A, I just sat back and I was like, huh, all this time I've been wondering what to do with my degree. And this actually is something that I've enjoyed because I think with her feeling accomplished, even I felt accomplished, like I had done something good and I felt like it had given me purpose, basically. Like I was like, oh, okay, this is actually all right, you know, like me um, teaching and basically like explaining math to someone else. Um, other people joked that I did it just enjoy the sound of my own voice <laughs> because I'm the leader or traditional teaching tells you that you're the leader in the room as opposed to the facilitator. But yeah, but then it came to, I think, being able to say it out loud. And I think there's a lot of stereotypes or thoughts that go like opinions that come in when you say you want to be a teacher. And I remember saying it for the first time to this one student who, of course, having been my student, for her, it was quite easy to embrace it. The next thing was saying it to one of my classmates. And she said it in front of like all the other classmates. And I remember just all of them saying, are you serious? You're going into teaching. And I was like, yeah, I really want to go into teaching. Um, I did the IB program at St. Mary's and I thought, you know what, I really enjoyed IB math and that's the last time I felt like that connected with a mathematical subject when it was giving the roots and how to think and um, giving you a good substantial basis of how to apply math in the real world. I didn't feel that same connection when I was in university and I suspect that's why I was particularly unhappy. My classmates didn't particularly embrace the idea. So I thought, okay, you know what, it's fine. Let's just keep trying to say it out loud because when you say it out loud, then it becomes real. And this one really close friend, I remember saying it out loud to them and saying, hey, um, I'm thinking of becoming a teacher. And I remember they went into, why are you choosing poverty? You're just choosing poverty for your future. Your parents have worked so hard to help you out with a mathematical degree. And then you choose poverty. And I was just like, whoa, I totally did not see that coming. And it took, well, there's a lot of arguments I could give against it because at the end of the day, I don't pay. If I were to have children, I wouldn't pay school fees. But it was just such a blow that I didn't say it again for a long time. I was just like, okay, you know what? Let's just sit on this for a bit. Let me do my exams um, for uni and see where it goes from there. So it's funny because when I finished KCSE, you know you do those random applications for unis around Kenya. They send you, like, you know how you do the option one, option two, option three, option four. And then there's a, for anything that you might just want to do randomly, like gardening, there's that option as well. None of them was teaching. So how did I end up being sent for a letter two years later after I had started my degree to go and teach early childhood education? And I'm not one for the little ones. Like uh, There's a lot that goes into teaching them. 
that is a lot about teaching them to be people at the same time as teaching them education. So I was just like, no, there's no way. So it was when I finally told my parents, they were like, oh, yeah, remember that letter that came in two years ago and you were not embracing it. You were so rejectful of the past that someone would think that you'd want to be a teacher. You were really, really against it. So then came in the hard part for like actually doing applications. And I didn't know the process that went into it. So I reached out to a couple of my old teachers. Ironically, the one who supported me was someone who never actually taught me and gave me someone to go and learn more about the IB program, which turned into an, an internship that was not really an internship. It was more of a gap year. So how it works is you observe that the teachers teach and then they start to give you a bit more responsibility like oh, okay today just do the first 10 minutes of the lesson then next time you do 30 minutes of the lesson or the end of the lesson and then you build up to doing a whole lesson and then into a series of lessons in order to generate that skill of being able to apply teaching but the problem is I didn't have an education degree, meaning they couldn't pay me like a teacher because I was not qualified as a teacher. I was just qualified as a math major, which went into meaning that I had to go back to school. And I thought it would be the biggest task going back to my parents and being like, hey, I know this is a big, big ask, big, big ask, but it's a loan. And could you just help me out on this one thing? And ironically, it was my grand was like, ah, do as you wish, but this time you have to go for graduation because the last time for my first degree I refused to go for graduation so she's like this time you need to actually get it done my degree that I chose to do in uni was quite a struggle in choosing it with my parents because it got to a point where they were like we're not paying for anything else you go do that because you're good at it because I thought oh I want to be a robotics engineer and build robots and then eventually they're like no you're good at this could you go and just do what you're good at the math it's the stat and I think there's an article somewhere that had read that statisticians are getting rich and my mom was so invested in it so there's a lot of hiccup there when we had a very strenuous relationship at some point and in addition I couldn't cope like those nine hour graduations where you have to be there at 6 a.m some politician takes it upon them to make it a political campaign you're in the sun there's no shade I was like no thank you there's no way so after I did the course which was an online course so that was perfect it came to the point for applying for a job I did a international course in order to be able to go outside if I wanted to so that other schools around the world would recognize um, the certification and when it came to applying for the job I threw my applications everywhere like literally to as many countries as possible there might be have at the moment been some male influence in as an incentive to leave the country at the same time but I also had my safety net um, being a couple of schools in Nairobi one in Mombasa some in Tanzania as well. And I applied to Colombia as a, okay, you know what? This job seems to fit me. I'm not sure they'll take a newly qualified teacher, but let's see how it goes. And in the environment that I was in, being an IB school, you see a lot of teachers from abroad or from other countries just coming in and, and going and coming in and going. And I thought, you know what, even me too. I can also be the type of teacher who goes somewhere else and teaches for a bit, and then I can come home or go to another country. And I remember one teacher saying, uh-uh, that's not for us, that's for them. It really baffled me what that meant. I was like, what do you mean for them? Like, aren't we allowed to travel and to look around and to just enjoy being movers as well? Because it's not 
that it aligned to a certain group of people to be able to um, explore. And even to this day, I have uncles who ask me, like, are you done with your adventure? Isn't it time to come home? And I'm like, I, I get that, but <laughs> there's questions that go around it. So anyway, I applied to all these schools. And at the time, one of my mentors that was meant to be doing my paperwork and my referees told me, oh, are you going to go to China? Because that's where many teachers from Kenya go and I was like oh I'm thinking of going a bit further because not many opportunities come for Kenyans to go to, to Latin America because it's quite far and it's quite expensive so if I can get the opportunity to be there for two years I don't think there's any other time my opinion but I don't think there's any other time in my lifetime where it'll just come readily available and I remember him saying this one thing to me he's like uh, I'm not sure you should apply to other places they wouldn't be sure of the mathematics you learned in university and I was just like wait what like of all the subject offered in a school, if any subject lends itself to internationality, it's math. It's a universal accepted because when you think of algebra in Kenya, there's no difference. And that's what we teach in IB. We teach about the commonalities between different nationalities and historically about math. And I'm like, of all the subjects, this is one that lends itself best to be applied in any other country around the world. When you think of history, find there's an angle of what history you're learning. And when you think of other subjects, you might need some local perspective. But when you think of math, it's just, it's, it's the same math. Like math in Nairobi is math in wherever else in the world it will be. So then it made me even more adamant to apply for the job in Bogota. And I remember applying and no response for a bit. So I went and found the headmaster's email on the side and I shot him an email. I'm like, hi, my name is Boboy um, Karanju and I'm, I'm just introducing myself because I want you to know that I've applied to your school. It was then came to the interview. I interviewed and they do ask you to do something for them, which is quite peculiar. They tell you to either dance for them or sing for them. But like Luckily for me, they left it as an open book and said, do anything, which is perfect because it was February and it was hot and I was in really tiny shorts, but dressed really official on the top. From the top, I looked very official and ready for the interview, but bottom, I was not. So I touched my nose with my tongue and I thought, okay, they laughed a bit. There's a bit of Harry Potter talk. And I thought, you know what, this job really has to be mine. And I remember laughing with friends and thinking, ah, if I licked my nose and got a job, we must really party and enjoy it and a few weeks later they responded and rejected me for the job which hurt 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 and then the next day I thought you know what it's fine I'm a newly qualified teacher I don't know what exactly that was going on there so I'm just going to shoot them an email and tell them thank you for the opportunity and for the interview and if they have any feedback for me to let me know which is what I did turns out it was a mistake I was not meant to receive that email it's just that the collection of emails had been piled up and the secretary had sent it to me by mistake and if I hadn't actually emailed to say thank you it would have never been rectified is what my boss told me at the time so during the process I think even the day they accepted, first of all, it was chaos because there was a Mombasa job that was being offered to me at the same time. And I ended up actually rejecting the Mombasa job with faith, like absolute faith. You're thinking, oh my God, if I reject this and it's such a good opportunity. And there's another Nairobi one as well, which is good money. So the Nairobi one is really good money. And my parents were like, okay, this one has a good amount of money to it. But I'm like, hmm. But 
and I remember like telling my dad and he's like, if you're trying to run away, then run away to, to Mombasa or, or Tanzania. And I was like, I'm, I'm really not trying to run away. So there's a lot of thoughts like that and opinions coming in for, but Bogota. And of course, everyone thinks of the first thing when you think of Colombia, they're like, ah, cocaine. And I'm like, really, really like Pablo Escobar. And that's the narrative that everyone, everyone who knew where Colombia was, that's the narrative they were asking me about. A lot of my older family thought it was Colombia, like in um, the US. I think I had one family member who thought I was going to Sri Lanka, but it was stressful and relief, but so chaotic in the applications, taking the photos. And a lot of the application stuff was done by the school so there's that relief of when people are asking me so what are you really doing and I'm like oh the school's actually helping out a lot um I did have a Nicaraguan friend who was helping me just translate the, the documents because there's that aspect that I really didn't sit back and think oh I licked my nose and got a job and I'm going to a country where there's no English and I need to figure this part out in terms of my legal documents and what they really mean and luckily she's so embracing of okay let's read through this together and tell you what it means um, I did start Duolingo but it mostly teaches you how to say milk and apples for the first few months which you don't arrive in a country and go milk apples so there's a lot of emotion over I can't believe this actually happened. It was disbelief mostly and excitement, I think. I think it was really excitement. There was, of course, a, a tinge of arrogance to the guy who told me no one else would believe, um, accept the quality of my mathematics because I went to university in Kenya. So he was one of the first ones I told. I was not humble when it came to him. There was no humility at all. I just went in and I'm like, hey, I got the job. And he's like, oh. And I remember him getting my reference. Um, because he was like, oh, that means you're really close to getting the job. But there was still so much um, negativity coming from him. So when he was like, oh, okay, fine, sent my application. And having that person as your referee is not the best feeling in the world. It just feels like if that's a person who's referring you and they have such a lack of faith in you, then who are you to like really start giving yourself this motivation to actually get the job? So I didn't actually come to Bogota straight because I had a few. I needed to go see my cousins for an emergency in the UK and then um, passed through the US and then came here. So I arrived. So first of all, in all this period, my visa still hasn't arrived. So they kept dilly-dallying with my visa. And I was like, I already had a flight booked to the UK. Goodbye. You guys will send my visa to wherever that is. I went to the US and I had to send my passport to my brother. He went, got my visa, pasted for me. And then I arrived in Bogota. The school does a pickup for you in the night. They give you at least some pesos to start your day the next day. Day. but luckily I was one of the people put inside a house with someone else because usually you put in a house by yourself I was put in a house with someone else I had arrived six days later than everyone else so they were already in session because of visa issues so I went to school the first day having done Duolingo with so much confidence for three months thinking I know how to say apples and milk and the Potero, which is the the guard at the gate, was like, good morning. And I looked at him like, oh, my God. So like, buenos dias. And I'm like, okay, that happened. I, sh I, I, I know that response. So I walked around the next day. Three days later was the first time I could actually respond to him. So it was like, buenos dias. And I was like, ah, buenos dias. And it was so exciting to just say hello to him for the first time and click in my brain that I do know the response to that. I'm not the best travel person. I'm the person who does zero research and I'm like, ah, we'll figure it out when we get there. So I did arrive here thinking it was the most tropical country, which it is. I just forgot that, you know, I knew that Bogota was high, that it was um, on 2,700, 3,000 meters above sea level, but I didn't, it didn't click in my head 
that means cold. So I did arrive with like two sweaters and I'm like, oh, this is this is Kenya in winter. Like this is 17 degrees where we, we light fires and cover ourselves with Masai Shukas. And it, it was so cold for me. It was freezing. So I had to get hot water bottles. And But there's a big support system on your first few months here from the school. So that was good. And I think Latin American people tend to be a lot like Kenyans. They're just very warm and welcoming. And they're like, ah, you know, it will take you around to figure out your internet, figure out your phone. I didn't figure out my phone for so long that I just used to go and give my phone to this guy at the, like our safari comp. So like, at, it's called Claro. And it, I just give it to him. He had a baby that was three months. And I learned that I finally needed to do something about that three years later because I was like, I've watched your child grow. Our Spanish level is on the same level now. And I can have some conversations with her, but I'm still giving you my phone to figure out how to put credit in it. I need to learn to do a few things on my own. I love teaching. I really love teaching. I think the best part of teaching is the children. And I think the worst part is the adult. <laughs> um, it's just that I think they come in with so much courage and so much freedom to just apply themselves. And if you stick to remembering that not every student is an A student, that everyone has their own path in life. and I think part of the reason that I was motivated to like just start speaking about this is because I write recommendations every single year. And there's a student of mine who's getting so much flack this year for a decision that she's made. And it was just hearing all the voices that come in to tell you negative things about the options you have in life when I'm like, but we all just made it anyway. Like when I look around and I'm like, you'll get there if it's something that you enjoy and you can see a path. You're the one who has the idea and you you get there. And I see my students modeling art projects and math, which is what something I really enjoy. I love seeing the connections. So I used to, this is the first year that I'm not teaching another subject, theory of knowledge. Um, I've taught it as well all through. So TOK is like about finding how we learn, where knowledge comes from. So I do like to build on the connections between math and art or math and storytelling, which I'm trying out for the first time this week. One of my biggest highlights is a math art project that I did with my students in March when all this lockdown started and I was teaching them a particularly hard subject about transformations of functions and this one student took this Bieber song and just made like a whole video for it with love hurts and ice cream and you could just see the functions moving and actually being applied to music and it's that part of it really really excites me that you think wow okay like I taught you I'm not even sure about that part that we've been doing this together and you've made such an amazing project and every time they write me from university because now I've been here four years so my students have gone to university do write me and tell me what they're learning I do receive messages where I'm like oh bless I have no clue what you're talking about that math is so hard for me like it's way beyond anything that I've ever done but I'm really really proud of you and it started this year that I started thinking I these students I write a recommendation and they go to these huge universities I'm like see I'm the person writing the recommendations even me I can go so there was a, a moment like that where I was like hmm I, I need to go back to school so at least I can start to understand some of my students emails and it's not even like the ones who go to uni let's that's far reaching so in IB, you have to do an extended essay. It's a 4,000 word essay, which is a big task to ask of a high school student. The thing is that some of them choose to do it in math. And every time they choose to do it in math, I'm like, oh, no, here we go. Because it means that I have to study so much. <laughs> 
Um, so I had like one of my students did it on the mathematics of a snowflake and I was like, whew, here we go. And I remember him getting his grade and I'm just like, man, but the amount of studying I had to do in order to be his supervisor, um, to guide him through. So he'd come and tell me something and I'm just shaking my head like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, I wasn't the supervisor, but the student who was doing it would come and talk to me just to bounce. You know, like when you just need someone to bounce ideas off of, it's just, it sounds better when you're talking to someone to just ground your thoughts. So she'd come and do it to me. And I was just like, oh, she couldn't do it to her peers because she was going beyond the reach of what IB math had gone. But she didn't know it was also beyond my reach. And sometimes I've understood that students do also need like even through tutoring it's just that with really good students sometimes they they also just need someone to hear them out to bounce their thoughts off of I used to tutor this girl online and she's so smart but and she did not need a tutor I did tell her very many times you do not need a tutor but it was just a confidence boost to see that oh she's actually echoing something that um, makes sense but I think every year coming back here it's so far away it takes like 37 hours to get here first of all with an okay flight so and it's also because I have a bias for Emirates they're usually the cheaper ones and with age I'm just like wait I'm tired of 37 hours and layovers and if there's anyone who has a worse luck with flight I could tell you I think I could write a book about bad luck with flights I've spent 19 hours in Brazil stuck thinking about how I'm going to live in the airport forever lost flights here and there it's just been a story and a half if I tell you about my all my flying and all the craziness but it's become so hard every year so it started to nag at me as to how hard it is coming back because you'd think after five times of coming here like it would I wouldn't need to cry anymore when I'm leaving Kenya I'm like oh my god it's so hard um but this year I came in and I was, was it this year yeah I think yeah it was this year so I came in in January and I was like okay you know what let's start thinking about what I really need to do as a next plan because it will be five years this year and then my boss was like my head at the time I was like, oh, I'm leaving this year, so what's your plan? And I was like, okay, this is a sign to stay because he's telling me he's leaving, so that means that's an opportunity. And I spoke to a couple of people and they're like, wow, you can just apply. It's your opportunity. And then someone told me, oh, are you ready for this other person to be your boss? And I was like, wait, I want to be the boss. Like, why are you asking me if I'm ready for someone else to be my boss? And I was like, you know what, let's apply in order to receive a sign. You know when you start fishing for signs from the universe? So I applied. At the time, I was in a bad mental state. So even my therapist was like, you didn't do your best with that one application. Like, these are jokes. So that was actually one of the pushing factors to go for therapy that I had stopped applying myself. It was just half-heartedly doing everything. I got the job. So I'm the head of maths now. And then even before, like, completely starting the job, I'm like... Um, I wanted to leave this country and everyone's like are you serious like you're kidding me but and it was just a moment of what are, my measures of success yes like career is really important but what is also the cost that I'm neglecting with like my emotional part or well also I've been trapped in my apartment for since March and it brought up so many anxieties and so many thoughts on being alone and being lonely and versus the job and how important it is and the one moment so I was like ah, I'm, I'm just going to choke on an orange in this apartment and die and then I want to be found for three days and then my neighbor would come and be like ah, I need to jump over your balcony so I was like fine he's the one who will know when I start stinking so there'd be things like that where I'm like 
huh, maybe, hey, this is a bit too hard to be by myself here now when I'm a bit older. Before it was an adventure and I've gotten to see a lot of the country and it's beautiful and the people are lovely. But when I'm starting to become cynical about it, when new people come in and I'm just like, it just means it's time to go. It's not that it's a bad place. It's not that anything bad has happened in particular. It's just that it's highlighting my need to focus on the bigger picture, the whole of me. Hey, I was fishing for signs. I was even like, like my vest store like clothes that I came with in 2016 and I was like that's a sign to go if my vests are tearing it's not about buying new clothes it's just fishing and fishing for signs and then I went and on to ask other people and the people I asked were like yeah you've done quite a good amount of time so it only makes sense for you to leave now and I'm just like oh that's not the answer I was looking for but it's the answer I'm receiving so even from my parents are like oh okay your adventure is finished now but then there's the other side as well who are like you've been given this opportunity to represent Kenyans if you just throw away an opportunity I was like ah excuse me like when I was saying I wanted to be a teacher you guys are me I'm choosing poverty and now you're like I need to be a representative for Kenyans I'm like I need to also just take care of myself you know like to ensure that yeah that I'm also doing okay holistically and to ensure that I'm nurturing growth in other areas so yeah now I'm doing master's application I don't think my boss knows I'm I'm leaving yet <laughs> but um that will come up at some point I'm sure and it's just in order to be a better teacher mostly that I think that I need to learn just a bit more but I also just wanted to see my shoshu a bit more like maze. Like it's just like I've missed my gran and being home. And there's so much FOMO. Like when you start looking at how much my parents and my family took Corona time as family time. So I was just like, ah, the FOMO was so real. So it just became more indicative of me missing out on so much. And I just needed to be. Or a bit. One of my biggest fears is that I won't get another one just because many people highlight that aspect of you're throwing, like there's that language that's used and there's so much power in language when someone says you're throwing away an opportunity and it's just for them to be right. And even with the whole process of applying for this job to get here when everyone is like, oh, you know, they, they want to be too sure of the mathematics level and that way they weren't right then. So now I'm like, oh, am I really throwing away an opportunity? Am I giving giving up has been used as a word as well. I'm like, I've experienced a lot. That's not just my job here. And I feel like I've gotten a lot from the country in terms of friends and experiences that will last with me forever. But at the same time, I sit back and I'm like, oh, but I think I will be able to get another job or I will just be okay. Or maybe my savings might not make it through the whole of my master's program or anything that I choose to do. That's a big, big fear. I think I'm getting to that point of, but you're okay. Like at the end of the day, you're fine. If you're, if you're in a good space mentally and you're eating and you're sheltered, you're fine. Like really, because at the end of the day, what's really the saving, the saving, the saving of money? If you don't get to experience these important moments that will play a bigger role and are the moments that you remember when you're older, yeah, so it will just be, but see, you're okay. Like you'll be okay. So what's the big deal? Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Didn't you really enjoy that story? You know, it's it's so funny because I always tell anybody who I'm, you know, engaging to record their story for the podcast. I'm like, because sometimes people feel like their stories are not insightful or their stories don't have things that people can relate with or not interesting. You know what I mean? 
And I'm always like, yo, every story is so interesting. And there's always something you'll walk away with from the story. And this was that story for me, like where at first my reaction was, yeah, you just have to really think about what's really important in the grand scheme of things. Whatever it is that you're worried about right now or is such a huge fear for you right now, in five years, in the bigger picture, is it still that important or have you just overthought it in the moment? I thought I learned so much about the teaching journey. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about it even while editing the story that I'm friends with some of my teachers from IB when I went to St. Mary's especially one of them, Mrs. Kasuku. And I'd never asked her why she got into teaching. Like I'd never asked her what that journey kind of was like. So it was so interesting to hear it in the story. And it made me think about the teachers who've impacted my life. One that I feel so guilty because I don't remember her name, but I can see her face so clearly was when I was in high school in Botswana. And my literature teacher, I want to say her name was Mrs. Engels, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Oh no, it was not. Engels was my, oh my word, Engels was my friend, Tom. His name was Tom Engels. Scratch that. That was not my teacher's name. I feel so bad that I can't remember her name, but she's my literature teacher. And she's the one who introduced me to poetry. She's the one who introduced me to listening to music and the lyrics and understanding that the lyrics in a song can actually be poetry. And I will never forget that because that's when I started writing. And years later, like all the traumatic things that I went through, poetry still is my way of healing and pouring whatever is inside out. So for me, that will always be the teacher who I feel really impacted my life. And maybe you could share who is that teacher for you, especially if it's positive impact. I mean, we all have... (laughs) Hey, 844. (laughs) 844 is the, well, was the education system in Kenya. And it was known to be quite rigorous. And I remember in primary school, there was a teacher, again, I can't remember. What's wrong with me and names? I can't remember her name. (laughs) But she was so terrible. She was our Kiswahili teacher. And I would always feel Kiswahili, like to the point my mom was not even faced by it anymore. And I remember she once told us that we belong in Jacaranda school. At the time, I didn't even know what Jacaranda school was. And I was just like, whatevs. And then I mentioned it in passing to my mom, how mean this teacher was. And she told me and my two friends that we belong in Jacaranda school. My mom was so pissed. Turns out this was a school for special needs students. Not that there's anything wrong with, you know, being special needs, but for a teacher to say those things. I remember she even once told a friend of mine who had lost her dad when she was much younger. She was telling off my friend and she goes like, oh, no wonder your dad died. Honestly, some people should not be around children, should not be, even forget being around children, they should not be teachers. I think she got fired because I remember my mom was on the PTA and me and my big mouth, I just went saying all of these things this teacher was doing. (laughs) I was such a snitch. But we all have those teachers who had a negative impact on us. But maybe you could share the ones who had a positive impact on you. It would be nice to hear that either in the comments or on our Instagram page or even on Twitter using the hashtag legally clueless and remember even through this christmas period and the holiday season if you feel like you want to share your story on the podcast i'm still going to be working so you can share a one minute story demo on the 
hotline number, which is plus 254-768-628-790. And just tell me a bit about the story that you want to share and I'll get back in touch with you. And you can also, still on that number, share an audio note if there's something in one of the Legally Clueless episodes that you identify with. Maybe you just want to celebrate the one million streams. Maybe you just want to share Christmas greetings and wishes. You can do that via voice note to that same number as well. Hi Adele, my name is Wenjiko. My best podcast was the one about, the one that you invited Mugunga. The one about self-identity, I can relate so much with it. The fact that I'm not quite sure of who I am at the moment, but I'm trying to find myself. The fact that I've known I don't have to be one thing. I can be many things but have a certain identity. Oh, thank you so much, Wanjiko. That was a fantastic episode. Magunga is just wonderful. So, so wonderful. And I loved that conversation about being one thing versus just being. And there's this quote that I read. I think it was a quote, but I don't know if I'm going to be sharing it verbatim because I can't remember too well. But basically, in essence, it was saying just be. That actually is a complete sentence. Instead of be this or that, just be. And it's also, I think, important well I've learned from my own journeys like to let there be room for you to evolve because you know 10 years ago being a radio presenter as an employee on a traditional station was it for me and I had such a hard time letting like I knew I didn't like the job and I wanted to leave but I had a hard time letting go of this thing that I was good at and this thing that I thought was all I could ever be I didn't realize that I am that's also a complete sentence (laughs) Over my life, I will keep evolving and doing different things. That wouldn't change the status of I am. Does that make sense? Very thankful that I did that work as I was resigning. Just to understand that, again, as you said, you don't have to be one thing. Just be. And do you remember during this holiday season, I am not taking a break. I never do. The episodes will still go out Obviously, your schedule will be different. And in January, you'll find all the episodes here, man. So you can still count on getting an episode every Monday. And you can also still catch this podcast on Trace Radio in Kenya every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 9 a.m. and at 8 p.m. If you go to traceradio.co.ke, there's a list of all the frequencies basically telling you how you can listen to Trace Radio wherever you are in Kenya. And you can also stream it on traceradio.ca.ke. And last but definitely not least, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. I'm sending you so much love and so much warmth and (laughs) no gifts. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.